Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Today in history, in 1904, a woman is placed under arrest for smoking a cigarette on New York's Fifth Avenue. to What the Fuck History, where we discuss the wackiest and weirdest things that make us say, well, what the fuck history? The name's Bond, Zachary Bond, and I like my maple syrup dark amber, not golden. My name's Megan, and yes, thank you for asking, I am from Tomorrowland. My name's Matt. I'm sorry, I'm just expecting some of my co-hosts' intros to be a little bit more elaborate sometimes. But today, I learned that the Empire State Building has its own zip code, which is 10118. Huh. Really? Yeah. That's so bougie. It is pretty bougie. That is pretty bougie, but it's a big fucking building, so I guess it can have its own zip I... code. It is pretty fucking Okay, big. if we're using, like, big building as, like, this is the reason we have our own zip codes, there's a there's a lot more zip codes in the world. Well, it's also not in the Big Apple, so fuck off other big buildings. I also found yeah, out that's true. that the, uh, the zip code for Beverly Hills is obviously 90210. But the zip code for Dawson's Creek is 90108. Huh. 90108? <laughs> Stop it. Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off. Stop it. I hate that. I hate that for all of us. I, <laughs> I can't. I can't uh, unhear it. So anyways. I was going to say also the, the name of the game of my intro is like very short. I want everyone to know my intros are never going to be long. I normally do longer intros and that's why I messed this up, I think. But uh, hey. I'm here to keep you all on your toes, so get ready for some Thank spicy you. feet, motherfucker. Oh, you could sell those I could online. sell those online, but we could also sell some other stuff online. Uh, before we get rolling, uh, we'd like to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor for this episode. I want to say tonight because we're recording it tonight, but you might not be listening, dear listener, tonight. So... <laughs> thank you very much to our sponsor uh who has been our sponsor for a little while death roll apparel a florida bred satanic unapologetic in your face clothing company who takes a stand against racism and religion uh they're a really great company and we've been doing some stuff for them for a little while now uh and if you use our code wtf pod that's wtf pod at checkout you're going to get 15 percent off your entire order so yeah, go on to deathrollapparel.com and check them out. And if that's the wrong uh, URL, then just fucking Google it, all right? Zach says <laughs> that Google they've it, been bud. doing stuff for us and we've been doing stuff for them. And all I can think about is under-the-table handies. Ooh. Ooh. I mean, th- I mean that, that went without saying. I do just so want to say that I have it. not gotten any under-the-table handies from Death Roll Apparel, nor have I given any... But if you boys want to come up from Florida, we can see what we can work out. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. All right, bats and ghouls. A game of rock, paper, scissors has been played, and the order for tonight is Megan, 
followed by Me. Zatch. Oh, no, hang on. Zach? Fucking Kevin wrote the <laughs> Zach. Um, and then it's me. <laughs> Fucking Kevin. Zach. That's your new Fucking name. Fucking Kevin. I'm gonna go up to the social security office and change the <laughs> name to Zach. I yeah, don't okay, think good. they'll let you do that for someone that's not yourself. But like, go off. Sis. I don't know. Hi, I need to Honestly? change your social security. I just need to change someone's name legally. You know, for a friend. For a friend. For a friend. My friend My sent friend. me here to do this for him. My yeah. dear friend is sent this me legal? to do this terrible, terrible deed on his behalf. His name is his name is Zachary. Yeah, Zachary. And the way that you're gonna know that it's Zachary, it's gonna be big Z, little A, big C, big ass H, and then all the rest of the letters are little. <laughs> all right. Well, then anyway. I, so I would not have to change my name. You just have to change how you pronounce it. That's you how you spell just, Zachary. Yeah, no, that's how you spell Zachary. No, like legally, you would have to spell it with the big <laughs> C and big A. But then every time you go to court, everyone's like, "This is." Uh, we're now hearing uh, Zachary Johnson, and you're like, I- "I'm sorry, Your Honor. It's uh, legally Zachary? been changed to Zachary." I hope you know the name I of this episode it... is now going to be the Zachary problem. <laughs> the Zachary conundrum. I, I think if you'll refer to the capital letters. <laughs> oh, no, oh, of course Your it's going to be spelled correctly. It has to be legally. We'll return to uh, his government name maybe later. But uh, <laughs> I'm going first because I have a beef boy story beef. that um, beef. I named in my notes John R. Brinkley, the man, the quack, the radio pioneer, Ooh. which I thought was nice. I think that really gives you the the wider scope of my story. Wow, your entire um, story has a better title than mine, which is just <laughs> the name of the family that I'm telling a story about. <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, Megan, you know it said it gave a wider breadth of your story? Yeah. That's a fucking lie because I have no idea what's going on. Oh, well, I think I think I've given you all of the information you need. <laughs> Megan's like, if this were a mystery, bitch. you'd be able to figure it out. It's like we need yeah, to call in the fucking mystery it. machine to figure out call what Megan's trying to tell us. <laughs> I mean, there's no need because I'm about to dive yeah, into no. it. I've got my diving bell on and everything. Um, so if living in America has really taught me anything, it's that uh, the answer of no, it, you don't have the qualifications to do that job, like we will not be hiring you, isn't really the end of the conversation. Yeah, not in America. You can really do whatever you want here. Even if you don't have a doctorate in medicine, like who cares, oh, really? Oh you can still do medicine if you believe in yourself that, that you can that do it. That sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about just, right. Especially just like called holistic medicine. Now, <laughs> well, it's just called like daytime TV. Uh, Doctor so, Ellis. which brings us to like the illustrious career of John Romulus Brinkley, and I really love that his middle name is Romulus. I'm in love with the name only so far. Yeah, only with the name. Um, so he was born out of wedlock to uh, John Brinkley, he, who was like a poor North Carolinian mountain man, who was married four times and survived all four of his wives. So I don't really know what that says about him or his uh, wives. Probably that he was a murderer. <laughs> yeah, he might have been. Zach a and I went to <laughs> the exact same place. So born out of wedlock to this man and none of those four wives, but to another woman named uh, Sarah Candace Burnett. He was she was the niece of his last wife. Oh, if you yeah, very know. romantic. Hey, very I romantic. used to shack up with your aunt. You want to make a baby? I mean, and she was like, hell yeah, brother, I guess maybe. At least we know this guy 
fucks. Yeah, we don't know does. that he fucks except for just this one time. <laughs> that's true. Maybe that's why I, he killed all his wives. <laughs> I didn't really see if he had any other like brothers and sisters, but honestly, it doesn't matter. Because during his teen years, uh, Brinkley carried mail between local towns and learned how to use the telegraph. Ooh. But what he really wanted in his heart of hearts was to become a doctor, which is noble. So when he reached his early 20s, he went to New York and then New Jersey and he worked as a telegrapher. Uh, and it was during this time that he learned that his aunt was unwell. So he returned home to North Carolina where she died on Christmas of 1906. And he was comforted by a woman named Sally Wyke, who he got married to a month later. So just like his dad, very romantic. Yeah, romantic or uh, eager to, to get in the bed. Yeah, eager. Eager is what I e- would say. Is the word for it. So then they both um, decided that they were going to travel around posing as Quaker doctors. Oh, uh, which you know, it's nice to share something with your partner. Yeah. Live action role play as Quakers. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, what if we, what if we brought other people into the bedroom, our role play sessions? Yeah, what if we did this for others and us? So they gave like medicine shows, and they were like essentially snake oil salesmen. Okay. Uh, they, yeah, you know, like I don't know if you guys know what medicine shows are. Yeah, I've seen Doctor Oz. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, you've seen Doctor Oz. <laughs> It was Dr. Oz, except, like, no not TV, on TV, right, just yeah. no TV, real life only. Real life Dr. Oz. Open up the stagecoach and be like, all right, everybody, come on over and see the newest things you can procure for your health. Yeah. Yeah, so a snake like, oil exactly. salesman. Snake oil salesman. Yeah. Uh, so then they moved to Knoxville, Tennessee, where he was the right-hand man of a man named Dr. Burke. Doctor, in quotes, please. Uh, who sold virility tonics again. I mean, yeah. we're a podcast, so it's eventual that we're going to talk about boner pills. So I guess this is related. Oh, yes. Thank God. This was our gateway Wait a minute. into it. Was there a plan what? to talk about boner pills? Oh, we forgot to. Oh, Zach, we forgot to let him into that. Movie. Guys, oh. we're in a group chat on Facebook and you guys couldn't send me one message saying, hey, we're eventually going to foray into talking about boner pills. Well, we did this on a Zoom call, yeah. so God we didn't get the it. link. <laughs> That's what I get for just being a writer on our other podcast. You guys just keep me out of the other big important... I want to talk about boner... P- you know what? Let's move on. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> so, after, after they were selling virility tonics, uh, later in 1907, because this was like a very full year for them like he got married they decided to have an illustrious career as quaker doctors uh they moved to chicago and they had a daughter in november and this was when john um john berkeley enrolled in bennett medical college keep in mind that this was an unaccredited medical school i was about to say with the name bennett medical college seems kind of sus brah sus yeah it's like hey we're doctor school Come to us for your doctor degree. Real fake degrees online. Uh, that's, <laughs> Real fake degrees That sounds a lot online. like, uh, what was it? Uh, fuck, what's the name of it? Trump University. Oh, yeah. This, yeah, this was the, um, the early 1900s version of Trump University. Nice. So uh, they, they focused on like the 19th century version of essential oils. Yeah, hell yeah. I guess. It was called eclectic medicine. Nice. 
uh, as the young family rolled deeper and deeper into debt, because like the tuition for this unaccredited college was like not cheap, he was introduced to the study of glandular extracts and their effects on the human system. That so was this is going to be really. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And this is going to be very important later for his illustrious career. So please just keep that beautiful sentence in mind. Got it. And he was really convinced that uh, this was going to move his medical career forward. So he uh, he doubled down. He continued to take classes despite the tuition debts he was racking up. And when he came home from working at the Western Union one day, he found that his wife and daughter were just gone. As you so often do. Yeah, you know, you just come home and your wife has filed for divorce and child support. I'll be honest with you. Happened to me not so long ago. Came (laughs) home, wife filed for divorce. Child gone. I figured super easy to do because not technically married. But like this guy sounds like he had it a little bit bit worse (laughs) off. You didn't have to do any of the paperwork. No. You didn't have to do the paperwork, dude. You didn't have to go to City Hall. (laughs) i also retained ownership of the dog that i bought so like it was a win-win for me this guy sounds like it sucked for him for a bit yeah you got to you got to keep the child in this situation unfortunately though you can't draw water from like a dry well because like keep in mind this guy has no Oh yeah for Mm. sure so i don't know how she was going to get child support but like despite the fact that he has no money um, he did give her two months of payments, and then he was like, honestly, I'm done with this. So he kidnapped his daughter, and he fled to Canada Yes, boy! Oh, yes, wow. boy! Yes, boy! Here we go. It's like how to solve a problem in uh, less than 90 days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kidnapping and in child endangerment, <laughs> that's how. Now, here's the yeah, thing. Yeah, you know. Megan did mention at the beginning of her story that this story could end in multiple places, and I would think that that... Would be ending number one. <laughs> this is ending number one. If this one. was a Quentin Tarantino movie, this would be, like, the intro part, which sets up, like, this guy's whole yeah. for the rest of the... The next chapter would be focused on the daughter as she, like, tries to samurai fight her way back to her mom or some sh- I don't know. Anyway. And a lot of I mean, I, of feet, I wish... A lot of images of feet. Yeah. Is no, that what yeah, you just A said? ton of feet. Quentin Tarantino loves feet. He loves the feet, dude. Uh, so this would be the first ending, and then, like, we would start back up again. All right, so chapter one is over. Tell us more about chapter two. Chapter two. Sally, the wife, was unable to obtain an extradition order, mm-hmm. so she dropped her suit for alimony and child support and uh, allowed Berkeley to return to America with the daughter. Unable to ever pay his tuition, he left college, returned to North Carolina to be with his family, he he began working as an undergraduate physician, which I guess after three years of medical school wasn't technically a lie. No, it was. I guess. No, it was. No, sorry. I, hey, yeah, hi. you it know, was. you're right. It's you fine. don't okay. get to study that era's equivalent of essential oils and declare yourself a physician. Yeah, no, you're right. So a lie. We'll just call it a lie. We'll call it what it is. Uh, so in 1912, he he tries to take up his education again, but this time in St. Louis, Missouri. But because he never paid his first college, they refused to transfer his transcripts. <laughs> so um, he just bought a certificate from a shady diploma mill. Fuck yeah. Yeah, fuck yeah. So when he refused to give up his dream of becoming a doctor, because, spoiler, it, it wasn't working out, his wife left him. 
one last time and and took the children with her because they had more children by this point. Wait, 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 mm-hmm. wait. Sorry, there's a flaw in this mm-hmm. story, which is that the wife took him back. Yeah, no, she took what him back. What the fuck? That is all. Continue. <laughs> yeah, you know, she just took him back. They continued their super solid marriage yeah, super after solid he marriage kidnapped their daughter. Kidnapping and super solid, super solid, super solid. So, um, wifeless again and childless again, again, uh, he moves to South Carolina where with a man named James Crawford, he opens up a shop called the Greenville Electromedic Doctors, which sounds super legitimate. I mean, it sounds less like a doctor's office and more like something that's going to turn you into a cyborg, which I'm about, but like still. Yeah, I, it. Honestly, what it what it sounds like too, like I, I can picture the advertisement, like what this advertisement looks like, because it would be one of those banners at the top of like old smoky. No, like one of the like a like a porn website, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> like, hey, try hot singles in your area at Greenville Electro Medic Doctors. <laughs> you know, Greenville Electric <laughs> Medi- Medical do- whatever you said also sounds medic yeah, doctors. Medic doctors. Also sounds like someone from, I mean, I don't want to call out any specific country, but like a Eastern European, like maybe like a Russia style country that's just like, how about if we call out a band? You know, so you're kind of, you're really close because. um, See, I I like where your head's at, Matt, but for me, it's more like like a race car gets plastered with a bunch of uh, sponsors. This sounds like it's Greenville Electro presents yeah right facility. exactly yeah so y- you got like at least matt sounding like it's from eastern europe uh is is kind of what they were banking on because they injected their patients with like colored water oh, good, yeah at 25 dollars a shot which in like today money is about 700 dollars yep. And um they told people that it was electric medicine from germany oh, good which I'm not sure what these men were expecting when they, like, rocked up and wanted one of these shots. But, like, if a doctor said to me, hey, this is, like, liquid German electricity, like, I wouldn't want so, it. So, okay, I'm laughing at this, but then I at would the same only time... only want it. Only want the German electric medicine. But at the same time, my brain's like, cool, we just introduced Dr. Teeth in the electric mayhem, but in medical form. Yeah, like, you're not wrong. Like... Uh... They were just throwing words together. They're like, oh, well, if people don't know what it means, then, like, we can just charge however much we want. I mean, but that's exactly what people do today. You just have animal in the background. Drugs! 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 (laughs) No, it's true. Like, you just, like, people have a problem, and, like, they want it solved, and anyone who's going to, like, peddle a solution for it you're just willing to pay the money for it. I don't know, guys. And they Maybe banked we on can that. inject bleach? Bleach? Take horse dewormer? Horse dewormer? Hydroxychloroquine? Mm. Please tell me more about Question this man mark. that sells snake oil. Yeah, so after two months, these partners fled town because um, they just didn't want to pay their yeah, bills. Yeah, of course. That nice. seems to be a, yeah, a, a continual issue for this man yeah there's a there's a pattern you can't have debt uh, if you can outrun it that's so true you're not wrong <laughs> and they ended up in memphis tennessee it was here that he met his second wife after a four-day courtship oh fuck. they got married you're goddamn right they did 
Moves fast with this dude. Did he even divorce his first wife? Absolutely not. Thank you for the <laughs> They honeymooned in Knoxville, which was very romantic. Really? Is it? No. <laughs> because then he was extradited back to North Carolina and put in jail for practicing medicine without a license. Good. Um, and, and writing bad checks. And he blamed his partner for everything. So, like, the two had to settle up and, like, pay all the people. And then his first wife came back and confronted the new couple and accused Brinkley of being a bigamist, which he was. It's basically the fucking Spider-Man meme. (laughs) (laughs) I'm his wife. No, I'm his wife. I'm his wife. No, I'm his wife. So he eventually, this is when he actually, you know, got the divorce. Um, And then he like... He got an undergraduate license to practice medicine, and he joined the Army Reserve Medical Corps. Uh, And then he bought up a practice of a doctor who was leaving town, which is eventually how he got money to finally come in. And this is where his career starts to take off. So (laughs) this is like the ending of Chapter 2. Okay. (laughs) Chapter 2 had a fucking lot in it. Yeah. I know. I'm so sorry. I knew this story was going to be long, but it is very worth it. Okay. I, I'm already fucking strapped in for this. So. I'm like, like yeah. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm not saying like we need to stop. I'm just saying Quentin Tarantino did not cut down chapter two at all. He left it. This <laughs> no, is the he, director's no, cut. No, he did it. Of this movie. Well, you kind of needed all of this, like, the fact that, like, he went through all of this process of, like, not having a medical degree and getting into a lot of debt and then eventually being able to finish his fake medical degree to get to this, to chapter three. Um, So here's where his claim to fame comes in with all of the eclectic medical knowledge behind him. A man came to him complaining of being, quote-unquote, sexually weak. And uh, Brinkley joked that he wouldn't be having this problem if he had a pair of goat glands in him, a.k.a. goat testicles. Uh, oh. Oh, Megan. Okay. Which is a weird joke, right? No, he's gonna, you would he's never gonna transplant. act on that. He's gonna put goat testicles in a man. Yeah. Yeah. He put goat testicles I in can't. him. I don't want to listen anymore. <laughs> I'm Just, uncomfortable. We're not this done. is literally almost as bad as that woman that shoved pieces of animal inside her. I know, but we haven't even gotten to all of his career. And it's gross we're... already. Yeah. So he did the procedure for $9,700 in today's money on both men and women. Claiming that the body would absorb the goat tissue because you can say whatever you want on Dr. Oz. Yeah, you can. Uh, no one will even okay. fact check you. No, dude. So in men, he placed the testicles in the scrotum. And in women, he placed like goat ovaries near their own ovaries. And unsurprisingly, this procedure did nothing but pretty much kill people. <laughs> I Woo! never would have guessed that. Woo! Fucking shocker, um, huh? Yeah, I know. He also like did this procedure like mostly while he was drunk <laughs> what a champ sounds about right i mean yeah this and whole he claimed that only sounds yeah. that a drunk man could come up with it anyway so why not just keep going on the sauce while you do it oh dude i know and like why not just say more wrong things like it can cure everything from dementia to flatulence like it can do whatever you want <laughs> i got the farts put the goat testicles in me yeah so like needless to say the american medical association was like hey 
what are, what are you doing over there? I'm putting goat <laughs> testicles in men so they fart less. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> this is the guy. This is the guy that you see on a street wearing a fucking tin foil hat, and it's just like, "Hey, bud, how's the weather?" And he's just like, "Goat testicles, goats." See, I'm also thinking of the the fucking scene in Futurama where it's like you got the guy in the trench coat and he just opens it up. Hey, you want to buy some organs? Hey, you want to buy some no, goat he... testicles? Yeah, dude, he loved goats, man. Uh, so <laughs> he loved the goats. So the AMA sent like undercover agents to start investigating like his claims, and like this was a long con essentially, but. Uh, meanwhile, while they were doing that, he was invited to L.A. by the owner of the L.A. Times, who challenged Brinkley to transplant goat testicles into one of his editors, which, like, I couldn't find if this was consensual. <laughs> we're going to strap him to a table, and we're going to put some fucking goat testicles in him. Yeah, All right, for... Buck, we're going to give you a 25-cent raise if you can manage to make it through this procedure. And he was just like, 25 cents? I can buy a house on that. <laughs> Um, so if the operation was a success, then the LA Times would write a big piece on him and make him, like, the most famous surgeon in America. And if not, uh, the newspaper said he could consider himself damned. Unfortunately, California didn't recognize Brinkley's shady medical license, but the LA Times pulled a bunch of strings and got him a 30-day permit to do the operation, which, like, I wasn't aware that's how medical licenses work. I don't think it is, <laughs> but, not. like, sure, LA Times. Yeah, so, like, he did the procedure, and it was considered a quote-unquote success, and he got a lot of new customers. I mean, patients. Um, <laughs> I mean, victims. This way. I mean, victims. I mean, future dead people? I don't know. No, we co- we covered that with victims. Was malpractice a thing back then? Because apparently, um... Like, medical fraud was, like you know, performing procedures that you knew weren't going to work, right? That was a problem. You could charge people on that. He didn't have a real medical license. Like, he never went to an accredited college. So, like, California knew this. So when he tried to relocate his clinic to L.A. to profit off of, like, all of this uh, publicity... The California Medical Board said, like, yeah, you're still not a real doctor. Hey, fake doctor. (laughs) Get fucked. Yeah, like, pretty much. So this is chapter four. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) While in in L.A., he toured a radio station. And he realized that this was a really great way to advertise his business. So he opened up his own radio station back in Kansas. Okay. Where he essentially founded Talk Radio. Oh, shit. And he spent hours hating on the AMA, and he, like, he would advertise all of his procedures, and he featured entertainment like military bands and early country music. Uh, This is the asshole we have to blame for Howie Carr. I got you. (laughs) I mean, like, kind of, yeah. He was like, oh, I can, I have, like, a great way to advertise what I'm doing. And he was so successful and making so much money in the state of Kansas that when a grand jury in San Francisco tried to arrest him for having a fake medical license, the governor of Kansas wouldn't extradite him. Holy fuck. This is insane. Yeah. Do you know why? Yeah, because he was literally employing most of the town. Oh, I was going to say because the mayor had them good goat testicles put in. 
Oh, dude, yeah, he probably did, He was honestly. in the process of like, dying. He was, like, in the process. He was on his deathbed. And he was just like, no. He's like, don't take him. He's done so much for us. We named our local baseball team after There's him. also a chance that Please. these testicles are poisoning my mind, but we'll talk about that later. And then he <laughs> And died. coming if up I... to the bat for the Kansas City goat testicles. <laughs> fuck. So the baseball team thing isn't a lie. Are you? Wait, what? Fuck? Really? What the fuck? What the fuck? No, they named... What? No, they named... They named the baseball team after I'm need... taking the bit back. The bit has been withdrawn from the podcast. I'm just going to bleep so it out sorry. in editing. We gotta go. We gotta I'm so go. sorry. No, you can't go because then he tried to get an honorary degree in Europe, but most universities were like, hey, you need an actual degree before an honorary degree. But then he found a university willing in Italy, but then Benito Mussolini himself revoked it. So <laughs> the the only one good thing that man ever did. Oh. I like how Mussolini had to get involved with this man's life. So then uh, on his radio station, he started up the original Yahoo Answers called the Medical Question Box, where he would read people's medical problems on air and offer treatments. Oh my goodness, where are the McElroys um, when you need them? I know, dude. He was the original. He was the OG. And uh, these treatments were only available at a network of pharmacies called the Brinkley Pharmaceutical Association that sold them at very inflated prices. So he's also the original Big Pharma. Holy <laughs> fuck, this guy. I really don't, I know. I don't know how to react anymore. I know, I know, and it's still not over, and I'm so sorry. I told you it would be long. Uh, to the point where he was bringing in like $14,000 a week in today's money. Jesus. But when people took his suggestions, they started showing up at other doctors' offices sick, and the Kansas Medical Board finally decided his medical license should be revoked. And then the Federal Radio Commission refused to renew his station's broadcasting license. So, so finally he actually has someone say, you're a dumbass, don't do anything, we're not letting you. Yeah. That's his so is this chapter five? Yes. I I think it should be okay. uh, the, what's the word for the end one? The prologue? The prologue? Yeah, this is, this is the, this is the, the epilogue, oh, essentially. Epilogue. Oh, yeah, epilogue. Pro is beginning. Wow, right. I'm dumb. Why didn't I? <laughs> I don't know. Anyways. I don't know. So, here we are in the f- home stretch. So, he re- reacted like any sane person. He decided to run for governor. <laughs> why not and why he the fuck obviously not? gets it he lost oh, good but he, thank god he did get 29 percent of the that's vote. still too many that's way too many yeah but tens of thousands of the ballots for him were disqualified because people wrote his name wrong so like he got more of the vote actually <laughs> um caught on he would have won if those were counted yeah on a technicality um and then he ran again and he lost again oh. And now he was, like, realizing his American prospects were over, so he sold his radio station and set up a higher power one in Mexico, right across the bridge from Del Rio, Texas. And the Mexican government wasted no time in giving Brinkley the license to build the most powerful radio station on the planet, which is not an exaggeration. Why? Why? Well, because they were mad at America for splitting up, like, the radio frequency rights of North America— Okay. Uh, and not giving any of it to Mexico. Okay, so it was a petty dispute. I love this. This is great. <laughs> yeah. So they were like... Zach's like, I've been out of this for a while, but I'm back in now. <laughs> Here Just in when the they epilogue, think I'm, out, I'm back in. They pull me back I in. I know. 
they pull me back in. And on clear days, it could be heard in Canada. And um, wow, locals didn't need a radio to hear the broadcast either because you could hear it through the metal fences or the fillings of your teeth. Uh, uh, huh? It was it was a very it was a very powerful radio station. Clearly, this, um, this radio and, station was bonkers. I know it was really bonkers. But in 1934, Mexico rescinded his license because of pressure from the states, and then he moved back to Texas, built a mansion, then was sued. By the AMA for medical fraud, then the IRS for tax fraud, then the Postal Service for mail fraud. <laughs> then he <laughs> then he declared bankruptcy and died. Get him on all the fucking frauds, huh? This story was definitely yeah. worth it because this garbage human being dies in the end. <laughs> he dies. He dies. And I know that it was really long. I'm so sorry. Do really not apologize long. one bit. The good news is... Well, like... That the yeah, it's story over. had a happy ending. <laughs> it died. had a happy ending. He does end up dying. He got fucked into um, the ground well, by debt, and then he died. So, like, it's the yeah. American dream. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I could have cut Ow. the story down, but, like, I think it was worth it to, like, No, you had to say, build it hey. up just to fucking Jenga that son of a bitch. I cannot I know, wait. It, I, I was going to say, I, I, I am so happy that you went with the Quentin Tarantino director's cut because I think you could have, <laughs> you absolutely could have cut down that story and like gotten rid of some parts, but it just, without all that context, you don't see how insane this person was and how many chances he got to do bullshit that he got away with for so long. So, yeah, yeah no, please, I needed everything. We did need everything. I think our audience will be happy about it, too. Yeah, like, I knew when I was writing it, and, like, this is getting a bit long, but, like, I think it was worth it in saying, like, hey, people in America kind of get a lot of chances to just, like, just not take no for an answer. And then sometimes they pivot wildly from being, like, a quack doctor to uh, the most... A radio DJ. The governor, potentially. To a potential governor. But, um, All right. go ahead. Well, that's, Who's that's next? That's fucking crazy. Why don't we, uh, kick it over to Zach? Yeah. So you talked a little bit uh, briefly about Canada in that story. Oh, Canada. And you're all probably wondering why I fucked up James Bond's famous martini line in my intro. No, it had something to do with syrup, and I immediately lost track because I am a fat man who loves sugary things. Well, good for you then, because today we're going to visit our family up north, eh? Eh? To, as you said (laughs) so wonderfully, Oh, Canada, my home and native land. Not really, you have a better healthcare system, but we have independence first, so not really a win, (laughs) but whatever. (laughs) Not really, not really a win. Oh, shit. I would rather have universal healthcare, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> than just the British going, fine, you can have your independence. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I'm happy for the independence. I'm happy for all the freedoms I get in America. I want universal health care, <laughs> uh, please. As you can see, guys, raging socialists, I guess. <laughs> More like raging basic human rights advocates. Yeah, right. Yeah, universal health care is one of those topics that, you know, only... 32 out of the 33 developed countries in the world have the last the last one is a real holdout they just can't figure it out 
Hey, they also <laughs> measure everything in the fucking uh, not imperial the imperial system still. So, Zach, tell me about Canada. Oh, Canada. I'm actually going to get in some semi-recent shenanigans that happened in our little neighbor up to the north of the border. Okay. So our tale of intrigue, wonder, and weirdness begins in the year of 1966 with one small fact that has to be addressed first. Canadians are known for many things. Ryan Reynolds, hockey, and being overly apologetic. But mostly they're known Ryan for... Ryan Reynolds is Canadian? Yeah, he is. Ryan Reynolds is super Canadian. What? So isn't Celine Dion. He's from fuck... Well, Celine what? Dion we knew. Ryan Reynolds is from Vancouver. Yeah. Go Canucks. Anyway... <laughs> So, they're also really known for maple syrup. In 1966, a group of maple syrup makers in Quebec come up with this wild idea. Love fishing in Quebec. (laughs) What if, you know, they want to sell more of that sweet, sweet liquid, and they all band together, and in a momentous marketing effort, they form the Federation of Quebec Maple Syrup Producers. Fast forward to 2011 where the FPAQ, and yes, I know those letters don't make sense when I just said them in the wrong order, but blame the French Canadians this time. (laughs) Blame the French. But the French Canadians. They have this huge share of the maple market. And, well, it's selling like hotcakes. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Did you get the joke? I did. <laughs> it wasn't a good one, but I tried. <laughs> no, it's okay. It should be noted that Canada controls and produces 75% of the world's maple syrup, with Vermont okay. being the second most producer of that sweet, sweet pancake nectar. Oh, good for Vermont. Good for Vermont. I would say the U.S., but Vermont's not really part of the Dude, U.S. go Vermont. Go Vermont. Richard, uh, I'm going to fuck up this name cause again, because, again, Because it's French? Because it's French. But Richard... Ve- I'm going to say Valeris because that's how I'd say it as a dumb American. (laughs) Richard Valeris uh, works for a large maple syrup warehouse in Saint-Louis-de-Blanford in Quebec. Okay. And is, well, he's getting tired of that daily grind, that nine to five Mm -hmm. or later, depending on how much maple syrup gets made. So (laughs) what does he do? Why? He quits Uh... his job. He moves to America. (laughs) No, he doesn't. Instead, he sets into motion the wildest moment of syrup history. Oh. My. God. I, so, is there, like, a big competition? Nope. For, for that seat of honor? Nope. Over the next few months, though, Richard he sets makes up... makes a lake of maple syrup so that people can kayak on it. 
I wish that would have been actually that's not as good as this. Oh, okay. <laughs> because over the next few months, Richard sets up a bunch of connections with his father Raymond, uh, a syrup seller named Etienne Saint Pierre, a Vic Caron whose spouse owned the maple syrup warehouse, and Sebastian Jutris, who was a trucker. And together, this ragtag group of ne'er do wells. What do they do? Why? They pull off the largest and longest maple syrup heist in Canadian history. Why the fuck the who the what the fuck the that yeah no you know what that sounds accurate. So between 2011 and 2012, Richard and his crack team would transport unmarked white barrels of maple syrup, which for some reason the Canadian government only or rather not the Canadian government but the um, FPAQ only inspected once a year. Hmm. I like how they had to expect it at all. I mean, yeah, it's a warehouse full of maple syrup, but they inspected these barrels once a year, uh, and they transported the barrels to a remote sugar shack away from the main warehouse, where they would siphon the maple syrup into new containers and then refill those white barrels with water, return them to the facility by morning so inventory was never off. Oh, that's clever. And may I remind you and the dear listeners, these barrels were inspected uh, but once a year. (laughs) But once a year. So it was not hard for them to do this. The heist continues over many months, and the group sells their spoils to totally legitimate syrup distributors in Vermont and New Brunswick, who are completely unaware that it's stolen. Of course, because why Thank would you. they be? It's maple yeah, syrup. Like, it's not like it's fucking it's stamped maple... and date coated. Well, it is, I mean, probably date coated, but it's not like stamped or like has radioactive tracking in it or any bullshit like that. Well, also, like, do you, were they, do you know, like, as you were looking up the story, if they sold it for cheaper than what the Canadian government was selling it I for? I didn't see that, but they probably did sell it for a little bit cheaper just to undercut the market, but they probably couldn't sell it for too much cheaper because then it would just bring too much attention. Again, these people worked for a legitimate warehouse that was under Federation of Canadian Maple Syrup Quebec maple syrup producers. So they like could get documents and get what they needed in order to be like, all right, yeah, this is totally legitimate. And as I said, it's fucking maple syrup. It's not like everything had tracking on it. I know. So this is really nice because the people who are stealing the maple syrup don't even need to find a fence. They just sell it to legitimate buyers. Eventually the team kind of gets sloppy and greedy and stops refilling (laughs) the barrels with water and just returns them to the warehouse. Empty? Empty. You cocky sons of bitches. So in the fall of 2012, guess what happens? Their plan was discovered and a massive shootout occurred, which left the culprits dead. No. Oh. The FPAQ takes their annual inventory. (laughs) And as the inspector, one Michael Gouvier, climbs up the barrels in order to, like, inspect them, He almost falls and, like, gets terribly hurt because he's expecting to climb on top of barrels that weigh 600 pounds full of maple syrup. Oh, and they just topple them because they are empty. You know what, though? I I need to say something, and I don't know if our dear listeners have picked up on it yet. Come here, listeners. Come here. I need to... I'm just going to adjust my chair and get a little closer to you. Hey, listeners. Hey, listeners. 
Did you notice that Zack decided he would skip over trying to pronounce that one guy's name because he was afraid he'd fuck up the French, but every other French word slash name he has pronounced in the proper French? Does anyone else find that weird? Anyone else? <laughs> Listeners, just sit with that for a minute. We're going to let Zack get back to his story, but like, just, th- just think about it. Just think of Zack's latent Zachary's. Zachary's latent hatred of the French. And that one French name. So this guy almost topples and hurts himself because all these containers are empty. Yeah, so he ends up almost getting really hurt and, you know, they discover that a bunch of these barrels are empty. And so a full investigation is launched and the police find hundreds of barrels of stolen maple syrup in possession of an exporter in New Brunswick. A little detective work later and 17 people are arrested between December 18th and 20th of 2012. Absurd. That's all. I hear what you're saying, or I don't hear what you're saying, but I hear what you're thinking, and you're thinking. I hear what you're thinking. How much maple syrup can one steal, and how profitable can it really be? I'm guessing, like, really pro. I don't know. Like, well, by the sounds of it, it's like it's a pretty well functioning business. It's a pretty well functioning business. Um, in 2012, Mm -hmm. the estimation of stolen goods Mm -hmm. was um. $18.7 $18.7 million Canadian. By the fucking gods. Which, what? adjusting for inflation... From 2012. Yes, uh, yeah, adjusting for inflation, carrying the seven, uh, random calculator noise, beep, beep, boop, cha-ching! That's $17,338,503.36 US dollars in today's money, or... In today's money. $21,893,431.86 Canadian. Wow. Yeah. In case we have the Canadian listeners out there. Really I did the math don't. for everything tonight. I, you're like, I did, I did, the math I did for non-discriminatory all of math. Um, but I just want to say real quick, that's a fuck ton of syrup, baby. That is a, that's, that is a that's lot. That's a lot of that good, good stuff. Sticky infant Christ. A lot of that good Canadian sticky icky for sure. <laughs> oh no, that's not what we no, will be calling it. it. <laughs> yeah, we're not going there. Richard ends up getting sentenced to an eight-year prison sentence in April of 2017 after all the trials and stuff, and he has again an eight-year prison sentence and a nine point a four a 9.4 million dollar Canadian fee, which if he doesn't pay. He gets another 14 years tacked onto his sentence. Now, this wouldn't be Canada if they weren't extremely nice about the whole situation. And so the Quebec Court of Appeals rules that the sentence was too excessive and lowered the fine to $1 million. Oh, yeah. You say sorry <laughs> another 300 it. times and we'll lower it just to five bucks. Now, if you get up there on the stand, you apologize real good. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll make it real easy for you, eh? Oh, my God. Fuck! Canada! Right. I love you, but why? It's insane. But why? It's insane. So, yes, that is the story of the Great Canadian Maple the Heist, great... which it is actually later called. It is later dubbed the Great Canadian Maple Heist. This is insane. Dude, I love I love all the heists that we've talked about on this show because it, they're, they're always great. Like... You can't have a heist without it later being labeled as the great whatever. We just heist. need some duty free music of like heist music to go under. 
I was going to say, here, I'm inserting, but not really because we can't afford it, the uh, Mission Impossible soundtrack. Uh, You all know it. Play it in your heads. Play it in your head. We're going to take five seconds for you (laughs) to do this. Ready? All right, that's enough time. I'm going to launch into my story. Yeah, there you go. I'm going to launch into my story because I think we're a little long-winded tonight, and I'm not going to make it any better. I don't know. Uh, we We got... Technically, we got 10 minutes. In the words of Mr. Incredible, I got time. As you guys may have guessed from my scripted bits at the beginning, we are in or near Spooky Month. Mm, By the time this comes out, it will will be balls deep in Spooky Month, I think. But at the time of this... I'm already balls deep in Spooky Month. Yeah, I mean, who isn't? (laughs) I'm a spooky bitch, bitch! At the time of this recording, though, we are not technically in spooky month yet but i figured why make our audience wait i will get the ball rolling with a spooky story uh and i'm just gonna continue that trend through the month of october so if you're wondering why so many spooky stories in a row it's because matt has a hard-on for spooky stories in the month of October. Um, so even if we're outside the month of October and I'm still telling spooky stories, it's because I recorded them in October and I was trying to scare my friends. Um, so the spooky story that I'm bringing you tonight is actually not super spooky, but it is very sad. And I am going to tell you this story. <laughs> <laughs> it's not scary. It's just depressing. Set up, set up scary. Set up such a huge thing for a scary story. And you're like, all right, disregard it's that. scary... It's scary in some ways. It's kind of just, it's sad in others. I'm going to tell you guys the story of the Sauter family. On Christmas Eve, the year of our Lord, 1945, in Fayetteville, West Virginia, a fire breaks out in the Sauter household, which was, at the time, occupied by Father George Sauter, Mother Jenny Sauter, and their nine children whose names yeah, yeah 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 whose names were John who was 23 Marion who was 17 George Jr who was 16 now the funny thing is wouldn't you name your first son George Jr what the fuck, fuck did John what the fuck did John do wrong to be named to not be named George Jr anyways I don't know. Maybe he was like an ugly baby. If I was going to have nine children, they had be Zachary Jr., Zachary the third, Zachary the fourth, and the list continues on. That way you'd be like, (laughs) number four, go do the dishes. That's not how names work, Zach. Um, I'm sorry. Could you please? That's not how names work, Zach. Anyways, um, they did actually have ten children, but one of them was off at war. His name was Joe. His name was Zach. His name was Zach. Um, so, George Jr., who was 16, Maurice, who was 14, Martha, who was 12, Louie, who was 9, Jenny, who was 8, Betty, who was 5, and Sylvia, who at the time of the fire was only 2. Uh, I lost count, but I'm just gonna believe it. It's 9, it's 9, I counted. Before... Uh, I lost count. So, when I was doing the research for this story, I was listing off all the names, and I was like, I only have seven children, and this report says that there were nine children. And then I was like, oh, there are two more here that I completely forgot to write about. <laughs> um, and I did do my best to keep them in chronological order by age, so John, Mary, and George, Maurice, Martha, anyways. Before I go over the events of the night, I would like to explain to you several things that happened to George Sauter before his house caught on fire. Yes, George had 
immigrated to America at the age of 13 from Italy. And as such, he lived in a community of other Italians because that was sort of the way it was done back in those times is that when you moved in or when you moved to America, you sort of had like a ready-made neighborhood of people that you could just be a part of. You know what I mean? Like Italians grouped together with Italians, Irish were with Irish, all that. George had been highly critical of, and here's the through line to Megan's story, which I'm really happy that she gave me. He had been highly critical of Benito Mussolini. Oh! And he had even pissed off a lot of his neighbors. Again, he is in a neighborhood full of Italians, and some of these people are very connected to their old country, and so when Benito Mussolini is being, you know, slandered by this man, George Sauter, everyone's like, fuck you, bud. And in October of 1945, a life insurance salesman comes to his house. And George speaks with him for a short while before telling him that he's not interested in purchasing any life insurance, to which the salesman responds, Your house will go up in smoke, and your children will be destroyed. And then he further adds that this is happening because of all of the dirty remarks that Sauter has made about Mussolini. So, So, basically, mm -hmm. this guy was like, buy life insurance, because everyone's like... Fuck you and the gabagool that you're rolling yeah. on. <laughs> Fuck, Fuck you. you Sauter walks away from that exchange feeling a little weirded out, but nothing worse for wear. Another strange occurrence happens when a traveling uh, tradesman stops by looking for work. He goes around the house and sort of does like a quick inspection, even though nobody asked him to do that. And he says that a pair of fuse boxes at the back of the house were, quote, going to start a fire someday. So this remark strikes George as odd because he just installed a new oven and the electrician who had done the wiring said that everything was fine. Um, huh. I, I don't know how to feel about all these people being like, hey, hey your, your house, house might catch fire. fire. Uh, Matt? Hey, have yeah, you but... ever considered that your house is flammable? I'm picking up really sketch vibes. Hey, so remember when I told you that it was a spooky story? Yeah. Well, I mean, you have a right to be spooked when two people come to your house and say, Hey, this may catch on fire. What if all your children die? (laughs) Yeah. So, my dear listening audience, everything was not, in fact, fine. Because, as I already said, the Sauter home goes up in flames on December 24th of 1945. So let me take you through the events of the day, and not so much the day, mostly just the nighty times. Marion, who is the eldest daughter, had been working at, they're called like dime stores, but essentially it's like a convenience store. Um, And she had purchased some gifts for her younger sisters. And so after opening these gifts the night before Christmas, all the kids are super jazzed up and the parents are given the request whether or not these kids can stay up late. And the parents are like, yeah, sure. Just remember that you need to do these chores before you go to bed tonight. And the kids are like, yeah, 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 for sure. We'll, we'll, uh. We'll, we'll, we'll get, get that, that done. done. We'll do that for sure. So the parents go up to bed at around 10 p.m. after reminding the children of the chores. And at 12.30 a.m. Christmas morning, Jenny, the mom, because remember they do also have a daughter named Jenny, gets awoken from her sleep by the phone ringing. 
And on the other side of the phone is a woman whose voice Jenny does not recognize. And she was asking after a person whose name she also did not recognize. But Jenny could hear the sounds of a party in the background, she thinks, because she heard clinking glasses and she heard a lot of laughter. But she later described the laughter that she heard from this woman as being very weird. And it doesn't, none of the research that I did into this described in what way the laughter was weird, but enough to say that Jenny found the laughter to be weird. She tells, Enough to be like, what the fuck was up with this? Yeah, enough to be like, yeah, first like, of all, who calls at 1230 in the morning? Secondly, why are you laughing at me? She hangs up the phone after telling the woman that she had called the wrong number, and as she's getting ready to go upstairs, she notices that the lights are on in the downstairs and that the blinds are still open, which is something that the kids would normally tackle if they'd gone to sleep. Well, I mean, there's nine of them. Someone should Yeah, no, somebody should have done it, right. So she goes (laughs) to check it out, and Marion is the only one who's on the couch, um, so she assumes that all the other children expected Marion to turn off the lights and close the blinds and that they had gone up to bed. So Jenny decides that she'll draw the blinds and she's going to turn out the lights. Um, and then she tiptoes her way back upstairs to go to sleep at 1 a.m. 30 minutes after this mysterious phone call, Jenny is awoken again by the sound of something falling on her roof and rolling. She described this as being like one loud thud, followed by the sound of something rolling down sort of like the slant of her roof. But because she didn't hear anything else that was suspicious, uh, she decides that she's just going to fucking give it a call. Not really worry about it. Again, my research is a little bit shifty here, but it's either half an hour or a full hour later that Jenny awakens again to the smell of smoke and the house being just blanketed in smoke. She gets up, notices that George's office is on fire. She wakes him up. And then she goes to get Sylvia, who, because she's two, sleeps in a crib in their room. George, now woken, goes to wake up his older sons. Unfortunately, the members of the family that make it outside are George Sr., Jenny, the mom, Marion, Sylvia, the second oldest daughter, the oldest daughter, Sylvia, the youngest daughter, who, again, because she's... In the room with mom and dad. Had a super high chance to survive. John and George Jr. So is that five kids? Six. Well, six people total. That's six people total. That is only four of their nine children. Oh, four of the nine kids. Right. George Sr. tries to save the children that are still remaining in the house. Their rooms were in the attic. Oh, That's not good. But the ladder that he keeps on the side of his property is nowhere to be found. He also Mm. tries to move two separate trucks that he uses to transport coal, because that's what he does for his day job. Both of them are dead, despite him having worked a full day the day before. Okay. Um... The family who survived, the family who made it out of the building, has no choice but to watch the house burn down for the next 45 minutes. 
Oh my god. Now, here's where I insert the spooky twist. Upon, Upon inspection of the house's ashes, there are no bones to be found and no bodies. What? So, the question becomes, where are the other five children? Where'd they go? This Uh, story is kind of weird to begin with, but Megan had a really beefy story. This story is halfway through. We're already at an hour. So, if you guys join us next time, I'll explain how this story gets even weirder. Fuck. Okay, so now I'm not going to sleep and I don't get to know the ending? Thanks, I know, man. dude. Like, I just want to yeah, know. Fuck. I mean, I'm sorry to do this I to guess, you guys, like, but... No, I love it. No, that's I'm cool. also I'm sorry to do it I, to I, the I, listeners. I'm not. Build this beds. If you want the story spoiled, spoiled for you, fucking go online and look it up. But if you don't want it spoiled for you, come back in, like, two weeks and I'll be able to answer all your questions. But until then, until this then. episode just made us all say, what the fuck, history? All right, I'm fucking with you guys. Uh, you don't actually have to wait a week for the remainder. I apologize for the long episode, but I'm going to take some time now, and we're going to finish up. How's that sound? Thank God I hate cliffhangers. <laughs> I also hate cliffhangers. I think the I viewers probably so... hate cliffhangers. They're not viewers, they're guys... listeners. Fuck off. That's true. <laughs> Did you guys ever watch um, Between the Lions? Yes. No, never heard of it. It's okay, a PBS so, thing. Okay, uh, so really quick, oh. it was a PBS show where, like, these lions ran a library, but they had this uh, segment called The Cliffhanger, and it was, like, an actual guy hanging off a cliff that was reading a story. Oh, my God. And it ended I feel like a... I know what you're talking Yeah, okay. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. I think you know, but yeah, that's that was that us. That was us. Just a end. second ago, and we all felt bad about it. Me especially, because I don't like hanging off cliffs. I don't have the upper body strength. So I'm going to fucking pull myself up off a ledge and we're going to do this shit. Here we go. So the fire is ruled to be caused by faulty wiring. And even without the presence of bodies, the other five children are declared dead on December 30th. How's that for a fucking Christmas present? Um, a memorial is held Happy New Year Happy New Year, less mouths to feed A memorial is held on January 2nd and the parents end up being too grief stricken to attend the memorial but all the remaining children go. After the initial fire the family's asked to leave the scene alone so that a more thorough search can be conducted But after waiting five days, um, George decides that he's going to plow over the land intending to make the site a memorial garden for his children. Now, in my research, I also found that it said that he had made a memorial garden across the street from the site of the home. So I'm not really sure. But either way, he ends up like bulldozing some of the land so that he just doesn't have to look at it anymore understandable yeah jenny on the other hand can't fathom that there wouldn't be any remnants after the blaze which is weird like i don't know what the like ash point yeah right, right? the flash the, point of, of bones, bones is. are uh really fucking high yeah so uh jenny does some scientific scientific experiments on her own where she burns like pork bones chicken bones with the meat on without the meat on all this kind of stuff and 
every single experiment that she does turns up that bones will stay. Um, she ends up having a conversation with an employee that works for a local crematorium who tells her that bones remain even after being burnt for a number of hours at 2,000 degrees. Hey, Matt. Yeah, yeah like... Bud. For the risk of this podcast, I probably got put on some watch lists and have the sure. answer. It's 3,038 degrees Fahrenheit that most bones will melt. Awesome. Yeah, that's what I'm looking yeah, at, no. too, because I was very curious. You definitely are on you. some watch lists. That's okay. Nothing's different today. But the fact that there aren't bones <laughs> isn't the only odd thing. Um, the next odd occurrence that happens with regards to this case is that a telephone repairman tells them that their lines had been cut, not burned. So oh. if the issue had been faulty wiring, that would have meant that the power would have been out, which would negate the lights being on on the first floor, as well as the phone still working downstairs. Because without electricity, you obviously can't have that. Yeah. The next weird thing that happens is that on a visit back to the site of the fire, uh, young Sylvia, who, as I mentioned, was two years old, finds a small rubber object in the yard, which, when combined with the story from Jenny about something rolling on their roof, made George believe it may have been called, uh, or might have been something called a pineapple bomb which was popular in what? the war at that time. It's essentially like a Molotov cocktail, but different. It uses rubber components. I don't have the time to get into it right it's now. It's probably just I'm... a little bit more of a sophisticated Molotov cocktail, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, it's sort of like a, like a grenade-type uh, thing. Further still, the weirdest thing about this is that people claimed to have seen the children. Uh, there was one woman who claimed to have seen the children in a car being driven away while the building was still burning. Oh. The next day, another woman who was 50 miles west at, a at like, a rest station mm -hmm. claimed to have served the children breakfast while they were making a stop there. Wait, just the children? Four out of the five children. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Still not Got still it. not made better, but definitely like she she knows for sure or she thinks for sure she saw them. Um a hotel employee in Charlestown said that she saw the children check in with two older women and two older men of Italian persuasion. And when she was questioned, she said the following. I do not remember the exact date. However, the entire party did register at the hotel and stayed in a large room with several beds. They registered about midnight. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and refused to allow me to talk to these children. One of these men looked at me in a hostile manner. He turned around and began talking rapidly in Italian. Immediately, the whole party stopped talking to me. I sensed that I was being frozen out, and so I said nothing more. They left early the next morning. Okay, this is yeah. really getting fucking so, weird. Yeah, super fucking weird. Do you weird. think that Mussolini himself... Yeah, Benito Mussolini himself <laughs> comes over to the United States just <laughs> to steal these children because of the... He was just like, because hey, of the remarks. I heard your dad was talking <laughs> shit. I heard that you were talking shit. You fucked around. Now you find out. So, yeah, the Sodders continue to investigate their own children's disappearance, and in 1947, they petitioned the FBI 
to investigate, and good old J. Edgar Hoover himself uh, writes back a letter that says, we would if we could, but we can't, so we won't. Fuck you, Hoover. Uh, he, t- <laughs> he doesn't, he, <laughs> Hash, he doesn't say those words Hoover. exactly, but he basically does say that the, the case doesn't fall under their purview. Hey, Matt, um, but if Yes. I just want to say, hey, Hoover, you suck. Hey, hey! that's a vacuum joke. <laughs> But he does let them know that if anything changes, he uh, he would put his best boys on it. But without the help of the FBI and the man, the myth, the Hoover himself, the Sodders... The man, the myth, the Hoover. <laughs> the Sodders end up turning to a private detective named Cece Tinsley. Mm. Pretty soon after getting on to the case... He finds out that the man who tried to sell George Sauter life insurance had been on the coroner's jury to declare the fire accidental, which seems a little sus. That is uh, more than a little sus. More than a little sus. But Tinsley also turns up a story about the fire chief, a man by the name of F.J. Morris, who had confided in a priest that he had found a heart at the scene and had buried it in a box. Cece Tinsley goes to this Morris character and he says, Hey, can we dig up this box since you buried it on the property? And the guy's like, I suppose, I mean, it's been a couple years or like a year. Why don't we dig it up? They dig this thing up. And they test the organ, which is still inside this box, and it turns out that it's a beef liver, not a heart at all. And more importantly, it had not suffered any heat damage. Um, so okay. Morris later confides in someone else that he had placed the beef, the beef liver there to placate the family because no remains had been found. That he could later say, yes, we found remains, so sorry your family died, as if they weren't going to test, you know, this to see if it was... Anyways. Yeah. So it's a little bit fucked up that he's just like, hey, I might make the family feel better by letting them know that their five children did die in a fire. Okay, you say that... Closure. I was going to say, you say that, like, like, closure. Totally valid. Totally valid to get closure. But anyways, a new investigation is done a year, a few years later, and they end up finding bits of bone. But again, the bits of bone that they find do not appear to have been touched by fire. They're vertebrae, and the way that the vertebrae are fused, it would indicate that it belongs to a person who's around 16 or 17 years old. But because they're not touched by fire... They don't believe that these belong to any of the children, and since there are only four of them, four or five, I think, they just determine that, like, it's a really weird happenstance, but they don't belong to the kids. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, so there's, like, a ton of weird shit that's happening with this whole case, but over the... Where are these children? I'm waiting for the reveal, and it's just not coming. It's not coming, and I, I hate... I'll I'll get to it, but I'm I'm so sorry in advance. Uh, over the years, more and more reports come in, and George checks each one, but to no avail. And there's even a situation where George recognizes one of his daughters in a magazine 
for like a New York or like a newspaper or something like that. And he drives out to New York and demands to see his daughter. But the family uh, that was featured in the article or featured in the newspaper does not let him in. But anyways, he comes back and they end up erecting a billboard promising a $5,000 reward for any information leading to their children. But they very quickly up it to $10,000, which would be close to, like, I think $170,000 today. Fuck. The case ends up going cold, and then it is declared closed. Okay. It doesn't really feel like anyone lost. I'm waiting for the until. I'm waiting for the until. Uh, One day, Jenny receives an envelope that is postmarked from Kentucky, and inside is a picture of a man who appears to be in his late 20s, and on the back is written, Lewis Sauter, I love brother Frankie, Illy Boys, A90132 or 35. But it says nothing else. Um, it's code for something, and I don't know what. Like the Zodiac Killer's code? Jenny and George hire another private detective to track down uh, the man that's on the picture. They had the address for everything. Like, they sent someone to go look. Uh, They never hear back from the man that goes to investigate this person. What? Oh, he's he's missing. He's dead. he's, He's also missing, too. And because they're worried that by like posting this information anywhere public they could put their son in danger um if this is actually their son they just decide that they're jenny decides that she's just gonna update the billboard that is like right by the highway with an updated picture of who they believe to be their son george unfortunately ends up passing in 1968 Jenny sort of goes mad with grief and essentially pulls a Winchester Manor and begins building onto the house that she was living in, essentially Uh. building rooms to make it harder for people to get into, like, the center of the house. She builds outwards as opposed to, like, upwards and onwards and things like that. Like, why? She does that until her eventual death in 1989. Was she just, like, looking for something to give her purpose? I honestly think that she might have just been grief-stricken and she was trying to board herself off from the world. And yeah. so she was, like, That's just fair. building layer upon layer to get away from the world. The remaining member of the Sauter family, Sylvia Sauter, along with the survive- surviving grandchildren of the Sauter family, are still trying to figure out what happened to the missing siblings. Uh, But she has said, Sylvia has said that in reports, um, some of her earliest memories are of the night of the fire. So she's 78 years old. They haven't found them to this day. They have no idea what happened to them. Uh, Sylvia Sauter actually passed away April 23rd. (gasps) No! Yep. She would be 78 then. Yep. Would have been. I had just read something that she was still alive and she was looking when she was 77. So that was that recent. I just I just looked up Sylvia Sauter really quickly. Damn. Anyways, R.I.P. I I mean, uh, so they never they never found out what happened to these kids. So conceivably, they are still alive. Well, conceivably, their offspring might be. 
or they are. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, I yeah, mean, they, they could be alive and in their old. 80s or 90s, but like Sylvia was the last known member of these children that stayed alive. Well, obviously oh she's not alive now, but holy. So God. that's a crazy story. I can't believe Mussolini kidnapped. I can't these believe kids. Mussolini kidnapped these kids either. It's, There's it's no nuts. resolution, and I'm pissed. I Zach, I know. Zach, I was researching like, uh. this story. I was just as angry because I also did like a brief, apparently not intensive enough to find out that Sylvia had in fact passed. But uh, I did a brief check to see if any new information had been brought up. Yeah, and hey. nothing. Hey Matt. Hey bud. This is Are you about added... to tell me that you did more? No, I'm not. Uh, I'm I'm just about to tell you that I'm adding this to my list of uh, searches and uh, investigations that I do every year, including the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist that I try to solve at least once a year and dedicate like a full <laughs> fucking week to. So now I have Dude, two weeks of investigation to do. You can you can count yourself among the member of her family, uh, members of her family who are still trying to like figure this out, like the grandchildren of um, the surviving members of the Sauter family. I need a cork board and a lot of red twine <laughs> we're gonna pepe sylvia this we're bitch. pepe so i'm i'm pepe so my mind is a fucking locomotive at the moment Shit. i mean why why would they kidnap yeah no them, like so your dad gets like talk shit so your right? dad talks shit like, about mussolini but like you kidnap his whole family and so i mean i don't i don't I think i know it like says that you said that he talked shit about mussolini i wonder if there were there was more to that if it there, was like i mean so the realistic thing to me seems like they might have been kidnapped but it just seems so far-fetched that those children because they were like they were old enough to remember their family um mm-hmm. some of the speculation is that they were like kidnapped by the mafia there's like there's a ton but i just don't see how like if the kids ever got older, they wouldn't reach out to their family. So this case... Yeah, like, what's the point? Right, exactly. Like, what... Well, it could be one of those things where it's like they wanted to reach out to their family, but they then had families of their own, and then this yeah, yeah, organization yeah. is like, if you do it, we'll fucking kill them. So obviously this case has left us with a lot of questions, but uh, I've taken up enough of your time, so I will ask simply one more question, and I think... Uh, we all know what that is, and of course, it's, uh, where the fuck are these kids? like what you hear from the triumvirate productions and what the fuck history we encourage you to tell a friend we don't pay for any ads so the best way to get us out there is to talk to other people about us you can find us on facebook at the triumvirate productions on twitter at triumvirate underscore pod and on instagram at the underscore triumvirate underscore productions Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 